For the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers, and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give... Uh, to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for your word uh, filled with good news that there is a gracious God in heaven and that you have sought us out, called us to be your own, We pray that you would give us faith, soft hearts, as we meditate together on your word this morning. Would these words be good news to our hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking this morning uh, about one of the most important topics in the life of our little church here. Uh, it's the concept of grace. And I think actually if you ask probably most of the leaders in our church, you say, hey, you know, what's your dream for this church? Like, if there's one thing that you want people who walk through these doors to know about God, what's the one thing you want them to know about him? I think many of the leaders would say, well, we want them to know about God's grace. That God is, it turns out the God who made the world, the God who's behind all existence is a gracious God. Or if you ask, you know, what is your dream of what the kind of atmosphere and culture of the church would be like? You know, when people walk in and they just kind of sense the kind of energy in the room, what would you, how would you describe it? Well, we want it to be a spirit of grace. Or, or that the people are marked by grace. They're people who are gracious to one another. Newcomers who come in, they show them grace, and they've received grace themselves, and so they show it to each other. And uh, Jesus teaches his disciples in this passage about grace. And he does it through this fascinating little story about a master of a house who goes out in the marketplace to hire some workmen, to, workers to work in his vineyard. And he goes out at 6 a.m. first in the morning, and he hires five different groups to come in. The first group he hires at 6 a.m. And he says to him, hey, 
uh, I'm going to give you a denarius, which is, you know, you might think of that as about $100 as a day wage, a day's wage. I'll give you $100, you come out and you work in my vineyard. And then he goes out at 9 a.m., and then he goes out at noon, and then he goes out at 3 p.m., and then he goes again at 5 p.m. The end of the day was 6 p.m. He goes an hour, there's only an hour left, and he hires people at all these different hours, and he comes and says, come and work in my vineyard. And at the end of the day, they all come to get paid, and they all get $100. They all get $100, same, even though they work different amounts. And uh, in this surprising little story, there are uh, many important insights about grace for us to meditate on this morning. And so I want to do that by answering three questions that this passage answers for us. And this is what they are. First, what does grace teach us about God? Studying grace tells us something about the character of God. Second, what does grace teach us about ourselves? To understand who we are, we need to understand grace. So grace explains God, it explains us. But third, what does grace teach us about others? This is going to be an important part of this passage, is that grace also informs our relationships and it informs how we view other people. And so uh, three things this morning. What does grace teach us about God, ourselves, and others? And this is the first. What does grace teach us about God? And in this passage, uh, we learn four... uh, uh, lessons about four um, aspects of God's character in this passage. And the first is that God is persistent. What is God like? One of the things that God is, is God is persistent. Now, the thing you notice in this passage, you see that there in verse 2, follow along with me. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, that mention of a vineyard is important. If you know Jesus' parables and teaching, vineyards kind of come up a lot, or plants and vines and fruit and all kinds of things. And part of the reason for that is because that was an important image in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 5, Israel, God's chosen people, God's chosen son, his beloved people, Israel is called a vineyard, a vineyard that God had planted and that God would, you know, tend to and work in and water, and he was looking to get fruit from Israel. And so to be called into God's vineyard, was not just about getting a job. Being called into God's vineyard was to be brought into God's blessing, into his life, into everything that he owned, to become a part of his household and his family, and to, you know, be with him. And so it says here in verse 3, and going out about the third hour, he, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give to you. And so they went. And going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So here's this picture of a master of a house who's inviting people into his vineyard. And he keeps going out into the marketplace. He goes out again and again and again at 9 o'clock, at noon, at 3. And he is persistent to invite people into, into his vineyard, into his life, into his work. And there is a persistence in God to have these workers in his vineyards. And there's some question, why were these workers not working all day? You know, the the workers who were sitting in the marketplace till 5 p.m., what were they doing all day? Well, you know, we don't know what was wrong with them. You know, it could be that no one wanted them. No one wanted to hire them. Or it could be that just the master of the house hadn't chosen them. He'd come other times. He didn't pick them. He's waiting for the right time to call them. Or it could be, you know, maybe they're lazy. You know, maybe they slept in. And they didn't actually get to the marketplace till the afternoon. And, you know, there's all kinds of reasons for why they weren't called in earlier. 
But this is what God is like, is he is patient and persistent, and he gets his man. Grace always gets his man, gets the person that is pursuing. And the work that God begins, the work that he seeks out, he sees to completion. And, you know, I know for many of you, you've told me stories of that in your own life, where you say, you know, there's whole seasons, years, maybe decades, where I was wandering away from God, I was ignoring God, I was just like, oh, la, 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 you know, pretending God is not there, I can't hear you. And, and God was quietly, persistently staying after me, bringing people into my life, and draw me to himself right at the last time, right at the right time. And my hour eventually came. And so that's one of the things that when we believe that God is a God of grace, he's a God who's persistent and stays after us until he brings in all his people into his vineyard. Okay? But the second thing we learn about God is not just that he's persistent, but that God is also just. And, uh, you know, in this parable, the master of the house pays all of the workers the same amount, a denarius. And when the first workers who went out to work at 6 a.m., they worked from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., you know, 12-hour day, and uh, they complained that they got paid the same as the, the workers who came later. And it says this in verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend... I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? It's an important statement. God never deals with us in a way that is unfair. He is always fair. He's always just. He always does what's right. He said, listen, I get, this is what I told you. I, I, I made the, I, this is what I committed to you, and I came through on my promise. And actually what God generally does, he always goes beyond what he promised. Um, you know, in the, uh, the par- this parable comes right on the heels of uh, Matthew 19. And if, uh, if you were with us last year, we saw Matthew 19 was the parable of the rich young ruler who was a rich young man who comes to Jesus and says, teacher, what should I do to inter- inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to this guy, he says, you know, sell all you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. The guy says, goes away sad because he couldn't do it. And so uh, then Peter, who's standing there, says, hey, Jesus, by the way, you know, we sold everything we had and followed you. We've done that. What are we going to get? And Jesus' answer is very interesting. He says, anyone who leaves their, their houses, their brothers and sisters, their families, and leaves everything and comes and follows me will receive a hundredfold and in Mark, it adds, it's a hundredfold in this life. In this life, you will receive a hundredfold, and in the age to come, eternal life. And what Jesus says is, listen, whoever gives up things for God, whoever does things for God, you will not outgive God. He will not only make good on what you gave up for him, he will give you a hundredfold. He's going to go over and above whatever you gave him, because God is just. You cannot outgive God. And, you know, the justness of God, that God does not treat us unfairly, is really important. He's, he's wronging no one. He's not wronging any of us. Some of us feel that way about God, that God is wronging us. He's not treating me well. God doesn't do that. And one of the reasons why that's important is, is we learn a third thing about character, about God. Just not that he's just persistent, he's just, but also that God is sovereign, is the third thing. And... Um, you know, that phrase, that God is sovereign, it's a phrase we use a lot in our church. We talk a lot about how God is in complete control of everything that happens in the world. He has complete control over, he writes the story that I'm living in. And for most of us, when we think of God's sovereignty, we think that means, okay, I've got to believe God's sovereign. That means God wants to hurt me. 
and I got to get brace myself for whatever he's going to do to hurt me because God's sovereignty is generally bad news. And, but in this passage, we see how God's control of all things is used ultimately for gracious purposes, for kindness. You see that there in verse 14. This is what the master of the house says. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give. I love that little, I choose to give. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And what this passage is saying is that grace is about a gift. It's about God giving us things that we have not worked for. And whenever you receive a gift, you don't get control of that process. Right? Um, God has absolute control over the process of being gracious to us. And so you think about your spiritual life, right? You think about, you know, why am I a Christian? How did I become a Christian? How did I come to know God? Well, you know, is it because I'm wiser than other people who don't know God? No. You know, if you grew up in a Christian home and you heard about the gospel when you were growing up, you didn't choose that. That was God's sovereign control to place you in that home before you could even think or breathe. You know, you're just a little fetus or whatever. You know, he, uh, he chose that and he placed you there. It was his grace. Or, or maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. And God gave you faith, and, you know, he put people in your life to love you and to show you God's love, and, and, um, and he, you know, reasoned with you, and he was patient with you, and he walked with you to draw him to yourself. It was all his sovereign grace working and drawing you to, to himself. Or you think about, like, why does God accept me? Why does God accept me as a Christian? Is it because of my good works that I do as a Christian, because I'm a righteous person? No. God accepts me because Jesus, the sovereign one, has taken all my sin, he's washed and forgiven all my sins, and he's clothed me in his splendid righteousness so that God looks at me with delight and with favor. And so it's God's sovereign grace, it's him acting, it's his initiative. Or you even think about how you've grown spiritually. You know, how do you learn to love people and love God, and how has your life changed? Is that because you've done all your spiritual workouts and you, you've really kept a spiritual diet? No, it's because the Bible says you are God's workmanship. You're like this piece of marble that he's chiseling and making beautiful. It's all his work. And so grace demands that God is in control. He's the chief actor. And that's one of the reasons that we put such an emphasis on God's sovereignty in this church because it means he is the one who of his own initiative, his own vision and control and power comes and gives us what we have not worked for. That's what grace is about. But there's a fourth, maybe the most important thing from this passage, thing we learn about God, not just that he's, he's persistent, he's just, he's sovereign, but he is generous. He is immensely generous. And, uh, you know, it's often the case in Jesus' parables that the final words that he says in the parable are, like, the most important. They kind of bring home the point. And you see in verse 15, the, end, the parable ends with a question do you begrudge me my generosity? Do you believe and love that I'm good? It's a question for us. Do we believe that about God? Do, you, do we celebrate that God is good and that he's generous? And, you know, um, what I love about this passage is that, the, you know, the whole idea to, like, pay everyone $100, right? Everyone gets $100. It, it, it wasn't the people who came at 5 p.m. who came and said, hey, could we get $100 too? No, it was 
the master of the house's idea. You know, he's talking to the foreman. He's like, hey, Merry Christmas. Everybody gets $100. You know, $100 for everyone. And he's just like, there's this cheerful kind of creative spirit. And, and it's just spontaneous giver. Let's give everyone the denarius. And that's what God is like. And, um, and you know, the best things that you will receive in your life were not your idea. They were God's creative, spontaneous, beautiful, joyful, cheerful idea to give to you. And um, many of us think that God is not that way. We don't think he's generous. We think God is tight-fisted. We think that, you know, God made this world and he has all the blessings in his hand and he's just holding on to them and I have to do all these things. I have to read and I have to pray and I have to go to church and I have to serve if I can just pry open his fingers so that he will maybe give me something. That's not the vision of God that the Bible has. The Bible says that God is open-handed. He is generous. And he is creatively finding ways to give us things. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, I think of some of you, I know during the holidays, I was thinking about this, about some of you, because some of you are gift giver people, you know? You know, you're at the store, and you're like, you know, that pot makes me think of so-and-so. I gotta, I'm going to get that for them, put a little card on it. And, you know, like, I never do that. I never think that. But some of you are like, I just, I'm thinking about people. I want to get this for them. You're creative, and you're a gift giver. And, you know, that's what God does, is he crafts all these gifts, and he comes up with these creative ideas to give people gifts, and he does that in our life. And to have a life that is centered on grace is to have eyes open to say, I want to see where that creative generosity is anywhere in my life. I want to look for it. I want to find it. I want to, I want to sing of it and celebrate it. What is he doing now? And so this is the vision of God that grace teaches us. Persistent, staying after us, getting the people in. He's in complete control, using his control to be generous to us. And he's being just. He's going over and above what he owes us. Do you have that vision of God? Is that how you see God? Is that the God you know? That's a God that is revealed to us in Jesus. And so grace tells us important things about God. But second, the second question is that grace, uh, that grace also answers is this, is what does grace teach us about ourselves? And, you know, in reading any of Jesus' parables or any part of the Bible, you always have to ask the question, where am I in the story? Who, who, who's me, right? You know, who's Jesus? Okay, the master of the house is Jesus. Who, where am I? And, you know, in this story, as I mentioned, the image of the vineyard was, uh, it comes from the Old Testament from Isaiah 5 that uh, talks about Israel was a vineyard. And so there's probably some element of this parable that what it's talking about is that the first people who came into the vineyard was Israel, was the Jews, the Old Testament. They were God's people. And now... And with the coming of Jesus, the Gentiles are being brought in, and they're coming later in to be a part of God's people, and most of us are Gentiles, and we're, you know, much later brought in, and Jesus is saying, listen, but you're all equal. Jews and Gentiles together worship God, and they're this one people. But, you know, I was thinking about this, and when you think about this parable, in light of Matthew 19, you know, I mentioned this story about Peter coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, by the way, you know, we left everything to follow you. What are we going to get? And Jesus says, oh, yeah, you're going to get a hundredfold. You left brothers and sisters and, you know, fathers and mothers and houses and lands. I'm going to give you a hundredfold in this life. He's saying, I'm going to far out give what you've worked for. That's how I work with you. And so when Peter hears that, who's he supposed to identify with in this story? He must be the guy who came at 5 p.m., who's only working for an hour, who's still getting paid $100. 
And I think for all of us, that's who we're supposed to identify with and say, you know what, what I'm going to do a little bit of work for God and what he's going to give me is going to far outweigh what I worked for. And when we do that, when we understand our relationship to God in terms of grace, we see ourselves in, in two ways. First of all, we understand that we are unworthy. We are unworthy of God's blessings. Now, I don't mean by unworthy, worthless. The Bible says that each one of us has been made beautifully in the image of God. You reflect who God is. And so that means you have dignity, you have value, you have worth. So to say that you are unworthy uh, does not mean that you are worthless. But what I mean by unworthy is that we can make no claims on God because of our works. We cannot say to God, you owe me. Pay what you owe. And this is an important point as we think about our life together as a church. Because there are basically, the Bible says that there are two ways that you can approach God. One is you can approach God through grace. You can say, gosh, God is the sovereign one who's just been kind to me, he's been generous to me, and I'm the recipient of that. Or you can relate to God according to works, which says that I do certain good works in order to merit God's approval and God's blessing. And so good works says, I obey God. I earn my wages like an employee, and he pays me what I deserve. And when you operate in a mindset and a principle of works, it, it makes you very independent. I'm doing my own work. It makes you self-confident. I'm confident in the things that I can work for. I'm confident in the things I can accomplish for God. And, um, and it makes us very proud and aware of the things that we are doing. And I'm often comparing the things that I'm doing to what other people are doing. Have I done more than you, or have you done more than me? And therefore, based on the things that I do, God becomes my debtor. Now, grace actually inverts things. Grace doesn't say, if I work hard, then God will love me. Grace says, God has loved me even when I was unworthy. He embraced me, brought me into his vineyard. And therefore, I want to obey him. I want to serve him. I want to spend my life with him. And when we operate on the principle of grace, we're not independent, we're very dependent on God's love. And we're not proud, but we're deeply humbled because we say, you know, I was unworthy when I received uh, God's grace. And I know um, I, I, I'm not better than anyone else. And so what works, operating with, uh, on, under the principle of good works, leads to pride, because I think I'm either better than others, or it leads to despair because I realize I've never done a good, enough good works to please God. But operating under a principle of grace leads to love and joy. I'm humbled, and I'm amazed, I'm filled with wonder, I'm filled with delight that God would be kind to me. And you'll notice in this passage that the workers who came at the beginning of the day, they put a huge emphasis on the works they've done. Look at verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. You can see the thing that they're talking about is they're counting hours. They're counting the works they've done. We've borne the work burden of the day. And they're counting other people's hours, how much they've worked. They haven't worked as much as we have. And they're keeping track of all these things. And to say, we are worth more. Now, let me say this. 
as long as we are unwilling to say to God, I am unworthy of anything you give me, as long as we are unwilling to say that, the love of God will not live in us. If we say to God, I am worthy, I've deserved, I've worked for you, you owe me, God's love will not live in your heart. And what you see in this passage is it says that the workers were grumbling at God. They are grumbling at the master of the house. They got brought into his vineyard and they got to work with this guy. And, and this is what this passage tells us. It's chilling. Is that it is possible to spend your whole life reading the Bible, going to church, serving in ministries, talking about Jesus, spending hours praying, trying to obey the rules, and actually in your heart, you hate God. You are resentful to him that he has not given you what you've worked for. You have paid your dues, and he's not come through. That is amazing. How should these guys have felt? They should have felt like, I get to work with this guy, and he just passes out $100 bills to everyone. I want to I come back tomorrow. I want to be, you know. What they wanted was a wage. They didn't want the master of the house himself, the good and generous and just master. That's what works does. It doesn't want him. And so the first thing that grace teaches us about ourselves is that we are unworthy. And by the way, this is not just people who are non-Christians who are first coming to God and saying, you know, I'm unworthy, I've been ignoring you. It's our whole life as Christians as we stand before God and say, we have nothing to bring to you. Whatever we have is a gift from your hand. But the other thing we learn about ourselves, not only that we're unworthy, but also that we are needy. Grace trains our hearts that we are needy. Look at verse 14. The master of the house says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And what this says is that the way that the master of the house gives out his money is not based on what, whether people have worked for him. He give, if they have worked for him, he gives them at least that. But he gives out to people based on their need. And God knows that we come to him needy, needing things from him. He knows we're weak. We're, he knows that we have, it's hard for us to love people. He knows that it's hard for us to obey his commands. He knows it's hard for us to pray. He knows that it's hard for us to walk with him. He knows it's, it's, you know, it's hard for us um, uh, uh, to spend our life and to be, to be zealous and to be joyful. And, um, and among all the other things in life that we're you know, weak and we, we struggle in our jobs and we struggle in our marriages, we struggle in relationships and we struggle with our bodies and with our health. He knows that we are needy And he wants us to come to him in that need, and he's not surprised by it. See, some of, I know some of you think that God, you feel like God is sick of you. Like, you should have this figured out by now. You know, I've been giving you all this time, and you haven't figured it out yet, and I'm tired of it. That's not what God is like. He knows that you're in need, and he wants you to come to him in his need, and he deals with you based on that need. And, you know, you might think this is a very negative view of us. We are unworthy and we're needy. But, you know, actually, if you read through the whole Bible, you just find out that this is the message of the whole Bible, is the Bible is filled with people, except for Jesus. There's no one who's righteous. You know, you look at Adam. Adam rebelled against God. Noah got drunk. Abraham slept with his wife's maidservant to get her pregnant. Jacob lied. Judah slept with a prostitute. Aaron made a golden calf. The kings of Israel and Judah are consistently unfaithful. Actually, if you look at the three people who are the most prolific writers of the Bible, Moses, David, and Paul, they're all murderers. The main authors of the Bible are all murderers. And you see that the whole message of the Bible is that all, even the heroes of the Bible, are unworthy 
needy sinners. And the main character of the Bible is God himself, the sovereign, generous, persistent one who comes down to us in Jesus, and Jesus is the only righteous one. And it's like God stoops down to us, like a, you know, a father stooping down to talk to a child. And it's like God does not expect us to ascend to him in our spiritual life, but he comes down to us. And that is what grace is about. And so what I want to say is, wherever you're coming from this morning into this church, do you see yourself as the workers come at 5 p.m.? I've wasted time. I've wasted my life. I've wasted years. I've wasted days. I've wasted energy. I've wasted relationships. God owes me nothing. God knows that he owes you nothing. And he wants you to come and receive the grace that is in Jesus. He wants you to receive the $100. He wants you to come and be a part of his vineyard and say, come in. And this is what the church is, is we are filled with sinners who have all been brought in and given what we don't deserve, what we are unworthy of. Now, you look at this so far, the vision. You have a God who is persistent and he's just and he's, you know, sovereign, who is immensely loving. And then you have a vision of us. It's a very humbled vision. I'm, I'm unworthy and I'm needy. And you put those two things together and you form a community around this picture of grace. And what happens is it actually shapes the whole culture of our life together when we believe that God is this way and we're this way and this is how we relate to God is through grace. And so this leads to a third question that we have to ask uh, this morning is what does grace teach us about others? And um, I think uh, at least one thing that we should take from this parable is that God intends for us to see each other equally. There should be a sense of equality among Jesus and his disciples in God's vineyard. And you see this here, uh, verse 12. This is what the first workers say to the master of the house. These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. When we operate with God in, its, in terms of our works, there is never equality. There's always this question of superiority. Who's better? There's competition. Who's better than another? And what the master of the house says, look at verse 15. This is a really important verse. Follow with me here. Verse 15, again, this last verse. Or do you begrudge my generosity? And literally in Greek, this is what that, that verse says. Is your eye evil? Because I am good. Is your eye evil? He says that their eyes are evil. What does it mean to have an evil eye? Well, it's an idiom for having an envious spirit. And what this says is that grace shapes how you look at people, how you view them, how you see them. It shapes your eye. And if you operate under a principle of works, I work so that God will owe me. How does that shape how you'll see people? 
Well, first of all, you know, if you're in church and someone comes in and, you know, they have all kinds of sins in your life that you may ha- maybe aren't struggling with at that time, how are you going to view those sins? Well, you wouldn't have those sins if you'd worked a little harder. I worked, the, I worked harder. There's going to be a sense of superiority. You're going to look down on those people. You're going to judge those people. But also, what's going to happen if you see someone who's actually more godly than you are? Maybe, you know, maybe they know more about the Bible than you. They serve more joyfully than you do. How, how are you going to view them? You are going to look for flaws in them. You're going to look for even the smallest flaw in them, and you're going to magnify it. And you say, well, at least I know they have that problem. Phew! Now I know that they're not better than I am. And what happens in a principle of works, the eye that we have is we are constantly looking for the flaws in everyone else. And when we find a flaw, we magnify it. And we think, and the flaws in ourselves we make very small, but the righteous good works that we do, we magnify those. And so what works does is it repels people. It pushes them away from each other. And you can have a whole culture of that in a church. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us, when we hear this parable about all these workers who work different amounts, and they came and they all got paid the same amount, you know, and you imagine if you were the first worker, how do you feel about that? I think actually all of us are like, I check out more. I mean, the, that person only worked one hour. They got $100 an hour. Why don't I get $100 an hour? And that's because all of us have this spirit in us. Is you, you work for what you get. You work for what you get. And it's strange that all of us have that spirit, and yet we also really don't like self-righteous people. I think all of us are like, oh, those self-righteous religious people who think they're better than everyone else. Oh, I just can't, it's, I can't bear it. It's just terrible. And we don't want to be friends with that person, right? But it's very interesting. God is not that way. I love this in this passage, that uh, uh, right here in verse 13, the master of the house talks to the self-righteous worker and says, friend, I am doing you no wrong. He calls him a friend. Even the self-righteous Pharisees who think they're better than everyone else, Jesus says, you're my friend. He's warming them with grace. There's grace for everyone. And what they should have thought, they should have thought, "Um, I want to work with this master, right? Because look at how good he is. I, I can't believe I get to work with this guy. Now, what happens? How do you view people when you operate under a principle of grace? And you realize I'm unworthy, needy, and God is just generous with me. And you see someone who comes off the street, they come into church, and they're struggling with all kinds of sins. What are you going to do? You're going to say, you know, those sins, I probably have those same sins. I just am blind to them. So I'm going to find them. And they're in there. Trust me, they are. And all of a sudden, I'm going to say, like, hey, we got the same sins. Let's come on together. We'll work through them together. And then if you see someone else who's more godly than you, and there, there's a joy as they serve and they, you know, they're loving other people or they, you know, they have a wisdom about the scriptures. You're going to say, wow, God maybe would give that to me. That's so beautiful. And, you know, God has saved me. He's been kind to me. Maybe he'll give that to me. And you begin to celebrate the good things in other people. And what happens is grace binds people together. It draws people together. Works repels. Grace bonds together into a family. And this is... God's massive project in the world. You want to know what God is up to in the world? It is this act of grace. He's giving a free offer to all the nations, all the worst people in the world, no matter who you are. He says there is a free offer to receive grace in Jesus, to have your sins forgiven, to be brought into the vineyard. And when the world receives that grace, we learn to love one another. And here 
we are just a small little taste of what God is doing in his kingdom. This is the principle of his kingdom. It is a kingdom of grace. And so as a church, this must always remain central for us. What are we about as a church? We are about the grace that is in Jesus. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that we don't have to approach you with our good works. What trembling, what fear, what despair there would be because our works are so small. And what hope that we can approach you through the grace that is in Christ. That you are so open-handed and generous. It is our joy to be called your children. It is our joy to be brought into your vineyard. And more than all the blessings you give to us, we are just thankful that we get to walk and serve and work with you and know you. Lord, make us a church that is defined by grace for many, many years. And would many come into this community and taste the sweetness of the grace that is in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.